name is Mary Beth Thurman. Here's the word of the Lord from the Song of Solomon. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadow flee. I am his. Whoops, I skipped it. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets, and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed him when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Amen. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, we're going to continue in our Summer Confessions sermon series um, where I'm kind of using some of my experiences during uh, many sabbatical I took um, that I think may be similar to some of the things you encounter in your times off, your summer times. And it is my hope that reflecting on these situational lessons um, through the Word of God will draw us closer to the Lord and to each other. And speaking of closer, one thing we look for in the summer, on our breaks, on our times away, is being able to have the space to draw closer to the people we love, our friends, our family members, and of course, for some of us, finding that summertime love, right, with our romantic interest in our spouses. This summer, Kelly and I had some opportunities to connect, to draw closer, and it, it wasn't until, I, I think, like the fifth out of six weeks <laughs> we were gone, that we were gone, that we finally found ourselves floating, literally and metaphorically. She and I laying on floats at the beach in the ocean at Kiowa Island without kids, without phones, without outside pressure and concern, 
And we just floated there for about two hours, looking at each other, listening. Yeah, I was listening. <laughs> Not just talking. Discussing, drifting, floating. Floating in a fallen world, though, right? Intimacy carved out and happening in the middle of a sea of potential troubles. The waves were still there and coming. The tide was sure to rise and wash our camp away. But for that moment, we were floating, right? Our passage today comes from the Song of Songs, which can only be described as biblical, divinely inspired erotica. From its obvious subject matter to the vivid image, it go, images, it goes all in. In its description of romantic love between a man and a woman, between lovers, between husband and wife-to-be, it is love poetry to the max, filled with passion and desire and vibrant human sexuality. If you might be thinking as you look at these images that no way he's describing what I think he's describing or she's describing, they probably are. Right? Uh, the, the, the purpose of the Song of Songs, though, is the opposite of shame. It is about freedom. Freedom to be intimate, to be like we were in the garden, to be gifted by God, to be naked and unashamed. Unashamed in who we are and how we love, unashamed in our sexuality and passions and desires. Song of Songs gives us an opportunity to finally float in a fallen world above self-protection, above shame, above fear, and into a place and with people where, where we feel safe to be intimate and emotionally, even physically exposed. With that said, I understand we have a mixed audience today. Kelly said it earlier, we have an eclectic community, married, singles, want to be married, so they think, right? <laughs> Looking at other married people think, I wish I was like them, don't move too quickly. <laughs> Single again, folks in abusive, struggling situations, in relationships you really shouldn't be in. And of course, our young ones who need not be awakened, as the scripture says, in their passion to certain things too early. But I urge you to go back and dig deeper based on your personal relational status. This is not a marriage conference, right? But I will not, because the scripture won't allow me, hold back on what I believe it is teaching each and every one of us broadly about closeness, about intimacy, about love. Like most theologians on this book, I agree that the passage before us today not only applies and describes human sexuality, but like all things in the, biblical, in, the, in the Bible, it ultimately points to the love between the Lord and us, his people. If you didn't know this, uh, maybe you haven't heard, uh, the church, the people of God are described as his bride, his love interest. Did you know God had a love interest? And it's his people. 
As much as we are called to float with each other, God desires to float with us. In a world where, like, let's face it, it's hard to float, right? It is hard to believe in love where so much in us goes untouched or wrongly touched. Song of Songs, written about 1,000 B.C., gives us hope to float. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but let me do my Barry White voice. No, just kidding. Three things I want us to see from Song of Songs today. First, the desire for intimacy is natural. Secondly, intimacy is difficult. And finally, intimacy requires a work of God's grace. I can't tell you how much being in the ocean. I grew up on the coast. So being in the ocean, right? In the rhythm of the sea. Melted, if you will, into the surf. And moved along by the motion of the waves. How much that mattered. Isn't it why lovers go away to naturally beautiful places? And why the love poems we even read to read today draw so much on natural metaphor and simile? I mean, look how these lovers in, in, in our passage describe each other in the place of their love, right? In verse 9, the woman describes her lover as a gazelle, right? And in verse 17, he's like a stag. And in verse 11 through 13, they describe the mood of their love, the sexual and emotional awakening and drive of their love. They describe it like blossoming plants and flowers and fruit. And the man in verse 14 describes his woman as a dove. The place of their intimacy is in nature because it is naturally human to be intimate. To be deeply and emotional connected, connected with, with and pulled in by another person. It's part of what it means to be human, created and made and shaped by God to be close to, close to somebody else. Like, the nature, like nature with its flowers and fruits itself at spring and summer and harvest time, as we, we see here, as the lover calls it, look around. This nature is like us, right? We, we are made to be chosen and picked, and ravished, and taken, and appreciated, and approached, and adored for the way, and, and when we blossom as a, as a people, this is not self-love, this is someone loving you for you, and listening to you. And though this is not directly a sermon on sexuality, we, we must accept, and that's, I think the church has fallen down in this area, right? We're not proactive in this area, we're always reactive. Right? The, the, the Bible talks about this so much. But we don't. We're afraid. It's a scary topic. We'll get to that in a little bit. Though, again, this is a sermon about sexuality. We must accept this very vivid and obviously erotic biblical literature that, that sexuality is part of our humanity. Surprise! And so it shouldn't, as the Scripture is teaching us here, be denied proper attention and guidance and appreciation, it is right to have hormones and attraction and self-awareness and be woke by and alive to our sexuality, even if it hasn't been consummated. You and I were created to float in our relationships as relational beings. It is in us to see ourselves somewhere in the landscape of this poetry that we read, which means just like a flower blossoming, it's begging to be sniffed and pollinated, right? 
or a juicy or colorful piece of fruit is almost saying, please, pick me, take me, enjoy me. It is human (laughs) to long for and want closeness. To have one say and say to be able to say to somebody, somebody else, like, like verse 10 says, right? Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, right? And then look at what he says in verse 14. Oh, my dove in the cleft of the rock and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. When you read this passage, at least for my, at least my, you know, immediate, immature uh, ways. <laughs> it may be easy to see this woman is kind of hard up, right? Like she's got problems, like she's wide open, right? To, to make her and her longing some kind of romance novel, daytime soap stereotype. Why she be so sappy? Don't be so obvious. Do you know what the scripture is doing? She represents all of us to some degree, male and female. She represents humanity as a whole through her experience as a woman in love and in waiting. She represents healthy longing for intimacy. She is not extra. She represents this world, our sexuality, our hormones, and then, of course, for everybody, our emotions blossoming with a longing that is impossible to control and sometimes impossible to anticipate. And longing to float, to adore someone and have someone adore you, to connect, to be handled and held and behold, beheld, right? And like her, we weren't made and don't want to be alone. God even said, it's not good, what, for man to be alone, We were all created. We have been made to be awakened and ripe for relating and and being known and knowing as deeply as you can to be, how do y'all put it? To be wide open. It is human to be wide open. It is more human, rightly human, to be thirsty, as some of y'all say, than not to be. And yet we have downplayed that as a weakness for obvious reasons, and we'll get to that. But we have killed or wrongly quenched our thirst emotionally and sexually. But you know what? The natural human desire for intimacy has never been the problem. And yet we read this like, man, you can't be like this. You can't be longing. You can't be wanting. You can't express love for somebody. You can't tell somebody else, hey, I really want to be your best friend. That's corny. Wanting to have a close friend and be a friend, uh, to be a friend, a really close friend, being a sexual being has never been a problem. It's not the problem. Being woke for love is not the problem. It is part of the way God has created us. I say this because I believe we have handled our natural desire, desires to be intimate and our waking and to be consummate in our relationships with contempt. We hate it about us because of the way it exposes who we are really. It exposes our vulnerabilities. We see it as something we hate coming right in ourselves and especially in our kids. Oh, no. He's noticing that girl. Or she's putting hearts to somebody. Oh, no. She wants to dress this way to get attention. Oh, my gosh. It started. 
And we look at our kids, but we feel the same way about ourselves. We're scared to death. And that can be like seeing, imagine this. This is like seeing an apple come on an apple tree and be afraid because it could have a worm in it. Or get picked too early. Oh, we better be careful. Here come those fruit, the fruit on the tree. It's always going to kill us, right? Because it's going to be a worm in it, right? Or it's going to get picked too early. Oh, no, let's cut the tree down. Well, we're afraid, right? Uh, we put a scarecrow up, right? Instilling fear in our human sexuality and the drive for relationship. Like we are afraid of flowers blooming too big or we might get overrun by bees. Or grass coming back in the springtime because that means we got to cut it. So let's just make a dirt lawn. We don't do that. For anything else like we do for intimacy and sexuality and emotional connections and longings, we make the feelings and longing oftentimes taboo and dangerous. And especially we men, we think it's stupid and silly and feminine to be emotional and romantic and moved. Because the world and the heart are dangerous. You know what? Just on a surface level, even that day on the beach, Kelly and I were floating in some degree of danger. I said on the surface, because we've been stung by jellyfish, haven't we? It was that time they were switching over, starting to come in and, and be in the ocean. We've heard reports of shark attacks this summer. And yes, we are aware that people drown even in beautiful places with the right intentions all the time. And looking back at the shore where our, all our stuff was, our camp, yeah, the seagulls could have come and gotten our food. I was holding a piece of chicken and one grabbed it right out of my hand. Yes, there's seagulls. I was so happy. Oh, my chicken. And it was gone. And the thieves could come and take our stuff. You ever been out? Wait, we usually go pretty far out. So we're looking. There's no way we'll make it back in time if we see some folks, somebody coming and taking our stuff. Yeah, we got them. <laughs> hey, lovers. <laughs> right? Not because we were floating, but floating in a fallen world. As fallen people, and this passage is not blind to the fact that intimacy and floating is difficult because of the barriers and enemies to love. Look at these number of barriers to the love between this man and woman. As pastors, they, they, don't, oversee, they don't look past it. Look at verse 9 here. It says, my beloved is like a zell or a young stag. Behold, there he stands, what? Behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. And then look at verse 14 as he describes her. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, right? Let me hear your voice because your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. You can't see it. And then in verses, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, I'm not going to read them all. She talks about not being able to find her lover. She's awakened in the night, and she can't find him. He's in the darkness. She doesn't know where he is, though she goes out looking for him. And then in the final verse, she says this, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So there's some warnings here. As much as these lovers are right in their natural desires to be with each other and for intimacy and drive for it, the road is blocked and has barriers and obstacles to them being intimate, to them being close. 
He can't get to her. He can't see all of her through the lattice. Probably not time for her to come out. Who knows? But we see barriers. She is stuck in the crannies of the rock. She is stuck somewhere. And then he is hidden in the dark. And then the time, as she says, sometimes it's just not right all the time. Though their love is awakened and peaked and ripe. The time was not right. And sometimes isn't. And sometimes time and space is a barrier. And just the going back and forth in this world where she says in verse 17, right? When your day has to breathe and the shadows have to move. It's the work and struggle and brokenness of this world. But with that, in fear and uncertainty, we have all in some way are covering and protecting ourselves and hidden ourselves from being seen. Since the fall, when sin entered the world in the garden, this has been true. That at one time, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And when they disobeyed God, they covered themselves. Like the woman behind the lattice and then the cranny and then a lover in chapter 3 in darkness. We're hiding who we are. We're forced to hide who we are. To be careful in ways that inhibit love. That inhibit intimacy. That, that inhibit taking chances in our relating and even our friendships. Because apart from the barriers, there are real enemies to our love, Right? So the male lover begs her to come out to him because he is ready and believes what he senses from her. She's ready to love, to make love, to be married. And what we believe to be her bridesmaids or bridal party, this is so poetic, so it's hard to figure out exactly. This is said in verse 15. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. The foxes here, y'all see him? Without doubt represent enemies to love. Active enemies to the blossoming human desire for intimacy. They are the sharks, they're the jellyfish, they're the thieves, they're pesky seagulls, right? And these foxes will eat off the blossoms. They will run roughshod through the garden and bite from and, and ruin the fruit and get away with it over and over and keep coming back. They're elusive and smart and quick, but damaging and dangerous. Because we live in a world of sin, of brokenness, and broken people, of not good people, including ourselves, we have a history and knowledge and experience, even with ourselves, to be dangerous, right? To intimacy and trusting and relationship and love. There is always a fox out there seeking to shame you for being so desperate. Seeking to take advantage of being all heart, of risking to love and relate. And sometimes we have even outfoxed ourselves and desired things in ways we were not created to. We have let the blossom itself, the drive itself, the animal instinct of sexuality, desire, and fruitfulness drive us. Instead, as verse 5 describes, being with the right person in the right situation, blossoming at the right time. And this is a surface discussion on relating, so... Can't get right into all that stuff too much. How about blossoming at the right time and it's the right person in the right place? But most of us have experienced awakening and have awakened and stirred up our desires, hoping this is the one or this is my best friend or this is someone I can walk in life with. 
Some of us have opened and awakened our human desires too soon or in the wrong place or in time or with the wrong person or come from behind our guards and gone forward in relationship and been left or unattended to or misused. We've walked out in the darkness with somebody, looking for somebody, and they weren't there. How many times have we done that? Think about the abuses, both sexual and emotional for both men and women, especially when I think about our young boys. When I was a young boy, so many of us are wrongly instructed on what it means to be a man, emotionally, sexually. So many of us men, when we were boys, were, we were exposed to and outfoxed by older sexual bullies, I call them. Hey, you a real man? Well, have you? And quit acting like a punk. Quit crying. What's wrong with you? You want me to punch you in your neck, in your chest? Man up. Bow up. What you drawing flowers for? Why are you drawing hearts? You you in love now? You whipped? Don't let no woman be like that with you. You be the man. That's sexual and emotional abuse. Do you know that? Is it physical? But the sexual organ, which in large part is our brain is destroyed by the way other men treat younger boys. How about emotions and sexuality? It misshapes them. We've been outfoxed again by sexual bullies that in the end took our ability, stunted and poisoned and chopped the bloom of emotional health and development right off the top. The enemy of toxic masculinity is eaten into our ability as men to feel and emote and share and even write poetry like we see here. Where are my lovers? We're the ones who care, right? Let's admit it. You know, it, it stopped us from, stopped, hurts us from being, uh, you know, hurting our emotions and our emotional ability to connect with each other, our world and our wives, to be fully human. Let's admit it. We have been scarred and bruised and scavenged by a world that was not gentle and loving with our emotions, and so we have created barriers, and we wear a mask or become foxes ourselves. And unlike the gazelle and stag metaphor here, some of us are bulls and foxes and slick and wolves and slow, scary turtles or or snakes. So some of us are called dogs because we have not been nurtured or impacted and stirred too early in the wrong way by pornography. Man, that's tough. And nobody's there to help us. Some of us even had people we trust give it to us or say, you're a man now. You, watch this. Sexual abuse is an emotional, sexual, relational neglect all alike. No, no one was there to protect or heal us and shape and nurture us. I, mean, I think it's really bad. We don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. We don't have enough song or songs in our lives. We don't even know how to pursue 
or give ourselves to someone else. I'm not just talking romantic. I'm just talking about friendships. You are emotionally dead. You can't cry, some of us. You can't feel. Worship, man, worship is so hard, ain't it? Some of us guys. You can't expose your delight and feelings because you're always in soldier protection, security, control mode. Can't admit and express longing and romance, and now we handle our sexuality like something that defines us or scares us or controls us. And man, my sisters, even though I focus on men more here, I'm not a woman. I don't know all the ins and outs. I'm married to one, but that doesn't make me an expert on it. So I'm going to leave a lot up to women's groups, whatever y'all, you know, the ministry here. For a number of you, though, there is no way to trust relationships. Relationships for so many of you are difficult between you and other women. Where it is a constant foxing, back and forth, what she think about you and what you think about her and what she said and how she looked. And there's this fear. Some of us refuse. We live counterpunching and jabbing and protecting behind the lattice and you hide your beauty in the crack of a rock. And many of us are lonely because of the abuse and fear we have suffered sexually, emotionally, or someone took advantage of our natural desire and longing for intimacy and being adored and stole us and our innocence from us. And we, like this woman, are in the dark about who we are looking for. Some of you don't know what you're looking for. You don't even know what a lover looks like. You don't even know what someone who... I'm with you. I thought I knew what love was and sacrifice was. We have no idea, so many of us. It's so self-serving and protecting. We want to use the people as a lattice, right? We want to hide behind them. We've gone out in the dark, and they just ain't there. And some of us here, male and female, are sexually uncertain. Because hear me, we haven't fully blossomed yet. How long does it take to blossom emotionally and sexually and relationally? Do you know? (laughs) I'll let you know when I get there, right? We had a... um, heard the story of an older professor in a seminary class and says, hey, when do we stop struggling with lust? And he said, I'll let you know. I'm 87. <laughs> when do we get it right? And this is something we have to have patience for, right? How long does it take? It probably took you as long as it takes for you to get where you got. At least that long and even more. Some of y'all, you're married and you think you should be there. You <laughs> What? You're just growing with the other person. You ain't there. And we come so disappointed. Oh, emotionally I can't do it. Sexually it ain't there. Oh, I thought marriage was supposed Oh, come on. When Jesus comes back, we'll get it. And then I hear we might not even be married then, right? <laughs> it's, it's like the great, the great consummation of all marriages, not being married. Wow.
Some of you here are engaged in emotional and sexual relationships in dark places where you as a person, a whole person, is secondary. And even in our marriage, and I mentioned this, it's a struggle and a fight. So much so, many of us have given up pursuing. The other person is too hidden, right? The other person is too much the problem. They're too stuck in their ways, right? They're too hidden and dark to me. And we have lost the heart and spirit of the gazelle and stag we see here. Man, come on. Like, some of us tired. We, don't, we just won't go to bed. We just won't go to sleep. You want to talk? No. I want to sleep. You want to snuggle? Come on, guys. Mary, you know what snuggle means. You want to snuggle? No guy wants to snuggle, right? Maybe we should. You want to snuggle? No, I'm tired, right? In this back and forth, we need marriage counseling. Great, let's go to marriage counseling. After, and then after marriage counseling, you're fussing in the car. After marriage counseling, they're fussing beforehand. And you heard what she said to you. Well, did you hear? Come on, it's hard. Warning some of you who ain't married yet, you don't have to be here. We make it, I think the evangelical church is really screwed up here. Like, everybody has to be married in order to be a whole person. Please, trust me. When you get married, you become like a half person. <laughs> Not a whole person. So, unless you're ready to cut yourself in half, don't do it. No, as a, if you're not married, you might have to cut yourself in half for another mission or experience or relationships, and that's great. But you get a choice. The other person just eats right off your plate. <laughs> Did you know that's kind of like a metaphor for marriage? I bring my food out. The both plates come. This happened so many times. I talked to some of you guys about it. You hungry, right? Here come your plate. She don't even eat hers first. <laughs> Boom. The biggest shrimp on the plate. Boom. Yours is good, I bet. And we're just as bad because when she don't eat our food, I'm like, hey, 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 waiter, can you pack that for me? She's like, for you? Yes. I'm just waiting like a mad, hungry animal looking in the fridge at that top. No one's she ain't going to eat it, right? Same thing. We, that's it. It's, it's a struggle. We're all behind the lattice, even married. Even married, you're out going out in the dark trying to find the other person. You're just married to them. And then you come in your marriage with a history of heart hurt and brokenness. Marriage takes and is a miracle. I hope you're able to look and see that, that it's going to take more than you can functionally do to fix it. And most and many of us decided that trusted close friendships and romantic love, floating love is not to be found. We can't even have community between each other and with us and God. Okay, let me move on. Move on. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that it was week five or six that Kelly and I had one time, one time, y'all, one moment. <laughs> I'm holding on to it too, <laughs> right? <laughs> and space and a few days of connection, and that was just the trailhead. It was just one more step in a relationship that has suffered from not being tilled and cultured in so many ways. We're 21 years, right? Where I'm afraid and in the dark about what to do next. I've been married 21 years. I'm 47 years old. I, 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 I'm in the dark about what to do next still. And that frustrates her. I'm right here. I can't find you. 
Huh? Open your eyes, fool. Right. You should know by now. To the right. I'm to the right. Huh? Huh? Right? Right here. She and I have become enemies of each other in ways that create barriers to our intimacy. It was one float that gave some hope this past summer where the foxes were tied up, nighttime was over, and things were in bloom. It took some serious work and patience and planning to get to that one moment. So contrary to what floating conveys, bliss in a fallen world, intimacy in a fallen world, requires intentional, active, risky faith. Look at verse 3, 1 through 4. On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him with my soul. Seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The watchmen found me. Those are the people who patrol in the streets. As they went about in the city, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. And I held them, right? Floating, intimacy takes time. It takes work. Like a fruitful, healthy garden, it does not come easily. You have to pursue it, right? To, to get to that place, Kelly and I had to, to, to get someone to stay with the boys. Oh, man. And find the money to do it. Oh, what? And the time to go out there and get into the water and into the waves with all the dark possibilities, even, let me tell you what was the hardest, risking planning all of this for another potential flop. And we have probably had more flops on vacation when they came to Romance sometimes than wins. The, the mood's right, the flower's right, everything's right. And we just wrong. <laughs> Happens. So many horror stories and experience outside and within our marriage, and we are all hidden and guarded, at least I had been. It took people saying, go, you can do it. We got you. How was it? Encouraging. Let me flip this real quick, okay? Because I got to land this plane. Little turbulence. Ready? Bump. There you go. Ultimately, I've used my, my Kelly and I relationship, and you've seen this in the Song of Songs. But ultimately, ultimately, this points not only in our relationships, platonic or romantic, but in your spiritual, emotional relationship with the Lord. It takes risky, active faith, doesn't it? To go away with him. To be with him. To spend time with him when quiet times have failed so many times, tiredness and boredom, not knowing what to do or say, even in our worship to focus on him. In this worship service, it is like entering nighttime. Yeah, I know for me, I'm not that emotional. I'm all up here trying to figure it out, Mr. Theological Presbyterian pastor controlling things. In a worship service where God, the Holy Spirit is moving, like he going to listen to me. Like I'm going to be able to comprehend him and put him in a box and take him away safely. Don't work like that. If we're like the blossoms, the Holy Spirit's come to pick every fruit we got. Whenever he wants to. Wait, not that one. Yeah, right. And so it happens in worship service. Lift your hands. Praise God. Amen, y'all. Amen. <laughs> it's almost like God's courting us. And we don't know how to respond. We're scared. I'm scared. I don't want to put it out there. Thank you, God. Looking all corny? No. Looking like stuff I see on YouTube and laugh at? 
look like my mama in worship, crying after the song's over. Be quiet, mama, hush, the song's over. But God's not done. Yes, he is. My friends are looking at me, hush. We don't want to lose our minds in worship. We got to stay cognitive in things. We don't want to feel. We don't want emotion, right? We don't want to be lost in God's love. He's just too much. We're in nighttime uncertainty. We are so affected and so scarred and so sub-zero emotionally, spiritually. It takes now risk, like faithful risk and groping in the darkness a lot, even when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. We must come away and go to find God like this woman does after a lover. Because God in the Bible is claiming as the lover in this story that he will be found in the darkness. Do you get me? Do you hear me? And and as he is found, so will the love and comfort and healing and light in your soul you long for. That has escaped you in all the relationships I've described, right? That that when you find him in the darkness, the abuse and pain and sufferings and mistakes and mishaps and misappropriations in your life will be found to be healed and begin to be changed because you found him in the darkness. Take time to be with the Lord. Go there. It won't be perfect. It will feel like you're walking in the darkness. It will feel like you're in a cranny in a crook of a rock. It won't be perfect if it feels like dark. You may be on the verge of finding the one who came to be found. Oh man, I've been in prayer. Man, I, I have to really work myself up to go sometimes to be with God. Hey God, he ain't there. He's there. He will be found. Hear this, so that the love he has for us, find him so the love he has for us and we should have for each other will be found too in finding him. He is the source of the healing and love you need to float with him and others in this fallen world. Do you get that? Intimacy, longing, emotional and sexual health does not come just because you want it and you think you can seek it and read enough books. It comes from really experiencing God. But do you see again where the faith to go in darkness? Look at this last verse here. Please, verse 5. Um, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles of the doles of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She was awakened to love. She was drawn out of the blind faith and a hard search and hope to float with, with her lover. We, we must experience that God, that God draws and calls us to go to him. Look at verse 8 and 9. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. And then look at verse 11. It says, behold, the, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of, of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The, the fig tree ripens its figs. The vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come with me. One trait we see that the lover can be trusted and address what is broken and hidden in the fall world is that he comes to find her, to seek her out. 
to call her heart out, to acknowledge her beauty and awesomeness, to then tie up the wolves and know where she is stuck and in danger of like a gazelle and a stag, driven and strengthened out of her love, out of his love for her, to not let anything stop him from getting her, to stop from being able to float with her. Isn't that what we all need? To be awakened, hidden behind the lattice, in the crevice, maybe not knowing how lovely and beautiful and wanted we are. To finally hear, my beautiful one, my lovely one, you, you are beautiful to me. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're alive. I want to be with you, right? To hear that called out into a fallen and broken world to your heart clearly and loudly. A voice and calling and love that will finally stir up and waken us in, in the deepest and darkest places and even motivates us to go out into the dark, to live by faith, to find and know and give ourselves to love, to float, right? Knowing that it is worth it because they are worth it. To let our love and emotions be awakened to the promise and possibilities of relationship in ways that flourish because God has found us in his love. Jesus has come, y'all, and been sent as a lover of humankind. Sent by God the Father, his son, to woo and court us with his gospel message of love that breaks through the barriers. And on the cross, he destroys the foxes and survives the darkness to be found at midnight, to be found in our darkest loneliness, in our darkest moments, in all our relationships. It is Jesus alone and his love for us that can awaken our lives to love in a way that the world is sought to kill and muffle and mute. You can love and learn to love and wait and want at the same time and be sexual and emotional in the safety of God's grace only if Jesus has loved your soul. And you know and grow in hearing his words and actions for you. Do you know what God did to have you and love you? And one day be united to you for all times. He hid his face in his love from Jesus. Who longed to be with his father. Who longed for that love. God the father turned his face from Jesus. He told Jesus to be shamed, ashamed, and go away. He turned him away from his love and called and treated him ugly and cast him out from connection and intimacy with the Godhead, with God his Father, so that every day, every moment, without fail, you can always know and hear through Jesus now. God saying, arise, my love, you, my beautiful one, and come away. And you will say to him and those you are called to love and float with this in verse 4. Scarcely had I passed them when I found him who my soul loves. I held him. I would not let him go. Until I brought him into my mother's house into the chamber of her who conceived me. Till that day we see him face to face. And we are with him. He calls us now to come away. Come away from the ugliness and the darkness. Come away from the abuse and mistreatment. And know his love. His one beautiful 
and wanted by him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us a way to be healthily healed, to be the kind of emotional and sexual beings that you've created us to be without shame, without fear. Lord, we know we're broken. We know we live in a broken world. I pray for your people right now. Those who decided they're just going to live alone or they're just going to let themselves stay in abusive relationships, who've gone ahead and just muffled their desires and their emotions and their pains and their longings to cut the blossoms off, to risk hurt being hurt again. Lord, right now, I pray that your people would turn back to you and hear the melodious song of love that you have for them, that they really will arise and come to you as you call them and go to them. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you right now. All they, if you, Lord, all they know is broken love. They don't know a perfect love without Christ. I pray that you would help us to know the perfect love of God that casts out all fears and transforms our hearts. This I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.